anything, go anywhere, do anything, but oh God, I just want you. I could search for earthly things to satisfy my every need, but oh God, I just want you. I just want you, I just want you, I just want to live in your presence every day, I lay down my will and every selfish desire, and that's what it takes, Father, that's what I'll do. Just want you. Standing in this holy place, I'm only here to seek your face. Oh God, I just want you. Can you feel the passion in my heart? To be just where you are, oh God, I just want you, I just want you, I just want you, I just want to live in your presence every day, I lay down my will. Every precious desire, whatever it takes, Father, that's what I'll do. Cause I just want you. I just want to live in your presence every day. I just want you. I just want you. I just want to live in your presence every day. I lay down my
Thank you, John Avet, for that song. Wasn't that beautiful? <clears throat> Isn't it amazing? That's an amazing thought. I want you, Lord. And that should be our desire every day of our lives. We should say, Lord, I want you. And why is that? Because he first said, I want you. He loved us while we were still sinners. He came into this world and died and paid the price for our sins. And he says, I want you. I love you. And now when we respond to him, we reach back to his hand and we say, Lord, I want you too. I love you too. And we can never thank him enough for all that he's done for us. May the Lord encourage our hearts today to take these words with us. Lord, I want you in my life. You know, words, we speak them every day. Some of us speak more than others. And sometimes the more we speak, the more we put our foot into our mouths and say the wrong thing. So we think, maybe I better not say too much. I won't get myself into trouble. But words are very powerful. They really are. And especially the words of a Christian in this world in which we live today. We don't have to be a people of many words, but we have to back up those words. Because people want to see reality. They want to see something that's true. They don't want just talk. They want walk. They want it to be backed up. And that's what the scriptures teach us is how we should be living our lives. Our walk and our talk should match. And if it doesn't, something's wrong. And the Lord wants to fill us with the Spirit of God so that we can be a blessing to everyone we meet along the way of life. Did you ever think about that? When you go out those doors and you meet people, you can be a blessing for Christ. You can leave them with the fragrance of Christ. And that's what we desire to do. You know, there's two types of confession in the Bible we're familiar with. Number one, we're all familiar with confession of sin. We confess our sins to the Lord and he forgives us. The other kind of confession in the Bible is what we're going to focus on today. It's the confession of faith. It's a public proclamation that we believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and we're not ashamed of it. How many people today, as soon as they mention and hear the word Jesus Christ, they don't want to have anything to do with it. They'll turn you off and not listen to you at all. But as Christians, we have a mission. We have a responsibility to proclaim Christ, to confess him before the people of this world. And so the title of our message today is Confessing Christ to the World. And the word confess can be defined this way, to declare one's faith in. If you confess Christ, you're declaring your faith in him. And that's what we want to do. Whether we speak to people or whether we live before them, both are important as a testimony for the Lord. I read an amusing story about a little dog. It's a touching story, too. And the dog's name was Caesar. And he was owned by King Edward. And he was a mere dog, and he wasn't a beautiful dog either. But he used to love to, to be with the king. He used to sit on the king's lap. He used to go all through the palaces. In fact, he had access into the apart, royal apartments and places that even princes and other people couldn't go into. This little dog, Caesar. And he would go in the funeral processions, and he would march so proudly. And his slogan was, I am Caesar, I belong to the king. And I thought, isn't that true? As Christians, we're lowly, humble Christians in this world. But guess what? We belong to the king. We belong to the king of kings and lord of lords. That automatically elevates us to a very high position in this world. 
higher than presidents, higher than prime ministers, higher than governors or any other earthly ruler or authority because we have been saved by the grace of God. We've been given an inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled, which fades not away and is reserved in heaven for us. A man named George Peck said these words. He said, many a lowly Christian has found himself exalted. Even humble service is worthwhile when one belongs to the king. Christ came to create this sense of relationship in us to help us know ourselves and our privileges in him. What temptations would be mastered? What bitterness accepted without complaint? What harsh words checked? What defilement indignantly repudiated if in moments of stress we could say, I belong to the king? You know, a number of us are out of work. Others of us have our health is affected. Others of us have issues and problems with our businesses or whatever it happens to be. But that's something wonderful that we can say this morning. I belong to the king. And I oftentimes think of that because we, I say, Lord, I'm your child. I belong to you. I am a son of God, an heir of God. And he cares for us. And he loves us. And he disciplines us. And he trains us in his ways. And never can we get to the point in our life where we walk away and say, I don't want that life. Because the Christian life is the best life. You go through the trial, you go through the difficulty with the Lord taking your hand. And that's the best way to go. The best way to go. Let's turn in our Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13. Matthew 16, verse 13. And while you're turning to that, let's bow our heads too for a word of prayer. And ask that the Lord will bless the message today. Heavenly Father, we just come to you with earnestness today. We want to hear your voice speaking to us. We don't want to hear man. Man has nothing for us. The flesh profits nothing. The spirit profits all things. We pray that you will speak graciously and mercifully to us, Lord, training us, teaching us. Please convict us, Lord. And if there's anyone here today that has not confessed you as their Lord and Savior, that today they will publicly proclaim you and accept you into their lives to be the Lord and Savior of their lives. Lord, please direct us by the Holy Spirit. Lord, please hide me behind the cross that only you, Lord Jesus, will be showing forth in the lives of people today. And we ask this in your precious name. Amen. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13. Here the word of God says, When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, or the gates of hell, shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. 
May God bless the reading of his word. We'd like to look at three questions today that are found in this passage. Number one, who did people say that Jesus was? What did they say? What was the result of that inquiry? Secondly, who did the disciples say that Jesus was? And third, who do we, who do you say that Jesus is? May the Lord encourage our hearts today because the answer to that third question means everything. It means where you're going to spend eternity. If you answer that question the right way and accept him as your Lord and as your Savior, you'll be with the Lord in heaven forever. But if you don't answer the question in the right way, you won't be with the Lord forever. Well, let's look at that first question. Who did people say that Jesus was? You know, in this story, in this account of the scriptures, the Lord Jesus took his 12 disciples up to the far northern part of Israel, up to Caesarea Philippi, and spent some time with them. It was near Mount Hermon. It was a long ways, about 120 miles from Jerusalem. So they were a long ways away from home. There's two cities in the, in the land of Israel that were called Caesarea. One is on the coast near the Mediterranean Sea, about 47 miles from Jerusalem, on the road between Tyre and Egypt, and the other is the one we're talking about here up in the far northern stretches of Israel. I was recently watching a DVD on the land of Galilee. It's put out by the Radio Bible Class. I love it. It's so good. It shows all the places that Jesus went with his disciples and all the biblical events that happened there. And so I'm going to give it to Adel and Sylvia to look at it too, and maybe someday we'll see it in the church because it's such a blessing. These are knowledgeable men that are speaking and sharing their experiences of being over in the Holy Land. But think of this. This was a great retreat. This was a great getaway place for them, a place they could just relax and be together. Think of it. No crowds to distract them. No religious leaders to disturb them. No people coming up to them wanting to be healed and so forth. Just Jesus and the 12. And he spent time with them as the 12. He spent time with them as three, Peter, James, and John. He spent time with them as the three of them. And he spent time individually with his disciples as well. And when we know the Lord is our Savior, he wants to have an individual, personal relationship with us. He wants to spend time with us on a daily basis. He wants us to come into his presence and draw upon his strength. So here he was, Jesus and the 12 disciples, and he's going to ask them a question. And he's going to start off with, really pretty much a basic question, and he says to them, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And so the disciples, I can imagine Jesus sitting there, kind of maybe a half circle, six disciples on one side, six on the other, all sitting together, and Jesus asked this question. The first one speaks up, and they say, some think you're John the Baptist, raised up from the dead. And you know, Herod thought that, because Herod put John the Baptist to death, and when he saw Jesus doing all these mighty miracles and how strong he was and how many people were gathering together to him, Herod became very afraid. He thought, this was John the Baptist, and God's going to bring judgment on me because I killed John. But Jesus was not John the Baptist. They were two different people. John was the cousin of the Lord Jesus, and, they were, and he was the forerunner. He announced the coming of Christ. So it wasn't John the Baptist, but some people thought, Jesus was John the Baptist. And then other people thought he is 
Elijah. Elijah the prophet, because he was such a great prophet in the Old Testament, powerful and strong, and he did miracles through God's help and power also, but no, it wasn't Elijah. Because remember, up on the Mount of Transfiguration, there were, three, there were two people that visited the Lord Jesus. One was Moses and one was Elijah. So it wasn't Elijah, but there were people that thought it was. And then others thought Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. Surely it might be him or one of the other prophets. But no, it wasn't that. But you know, they didn't have surveys in those days like we have. Have you ever had a Gallup survey or you've heard about CBS News polls, Fox News polls, New York Times polls, all these things to get the opinion of others. But Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they gave their answers. And they gave pretty good answers, but they weren't the right answers. And I thought about this as I was thinking about this subject. There were people in the New Testament that weren't even saved that gave very interesting responses to who Jesus was. Remember the rich young ruler who came to him, he says, Good teacher. Jesus was a good teacher. He saw him as a good teacher. He's more than just a good teacher. And then Pilate. Remember what Pilate wrote over the cross. He said, this is Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. That's what Pilate said. And the Jews came to him later on and said, don't say he's the king of the Jews, but put, he said that he was the king of the Jews. And Pilate said, what I have written, I have written. It's going to stand. And it stood there for everybody to see in Greek, in Hebrew, in Latin, for everybody to see, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. And how about that Roman centurion who witnessed the death of Christ? What did he say about Jesus? He looked and he saw Jesus die, and he saw that it was a death that no one ever else had died. He heard his words, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And he, he heard all the things that went on and saw it. He saw him die, and at the end, and he heard and felt the earthquake and all these things. And he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. Now, these people weren't saved. And that's what they said about Jesus. How about you and I today? What do we say about Jesus? But even today, if you were to take a survey and you go out door to door and knock on the door and you ask people, what do you think about Jesus? Many people would say, well, he was a good man. Maybe he was a great man. He was a very good religious leader. He was a mighty prophet, but how many, how many would answer that question, he is my Lord and Savior? He is God. He is my Redeemer. That's the difference. And what we think about Christ, how we answer that question, determines everything about our lives. So that's the first question the Lord asked. And it wasn't a difficult question. They were just giving the opinions of others. But now, He's going to ask them a really pointed question because he's going to turn it around to them now. And notice what he says in verse 15. But who do you say that I am? And I love Peter. I can relate to Peter. Peter was the first one. I don't know if he raised his hand or he just blurted it out probably. I have a feeling the latter. He probably just blurted it out. He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter, you hit it right. He hit the nail on the head. He hit the bullseye. He got it right. He, he did the right thing there by answering that question. Yes, Jesus, you're more than a good teacher. You're more than a religious leader. You're more than a good man. You are the Son of God. This is called Peter's great confession of faith. 
It's his great confession of faith. And yet, Peter wasn't perfect. Later on, this same Peter denied the Lord two times. And that hurts our hearts when we think about that. But later on, when Jesus forgave him, and he forgave him three times because he had denied him three times, there on the shores of Galilee, Peter went out. He was filled with the Holy Spirit like all the disciples. He became a fantastic preacher. He won many people to Christ, thousands of people, became a great elder and leader in the church, all because he confessed Christ in his life. And think how bold he was in the book of Acts. He was very bold for the Savior. And I think he remembered this confession he made, and I think he remembered the denial. And he knew that when Jesus saved him, that he was never going to deny him again. Never. And he never did. You know, it's, it, those words came out with strength. They came out with sincerity. They came out with surety. You know, Peter wasn't just saying it off the cuff. Oh, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. He said it with enthusiasm. He meant it. And that's the way it is with those who are born again. When you accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you mean it. I have accepted Jesus in my life. I commit my life to him. I confess him. I pledge my allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, there's been a lot of controversy over the years about people pledging allegiance to the flag. They don't want to say God in it. It's amazing. One nation under God. We're still one nation under God, but we're struggling because the nation is turning from the Lord. But still, thank God for those who do pledge their allegiance to this country and to the flag, but even more so that pledge their allegiance to Christ and his kingdom and his work and his love. You know, there's one other person in the Bible that also confessed Christ in a very similar way, and her name, her name is Martha. Remember Martha. Martha was the one who was the sister of Mary and the, and the sister of Lazarus, and Lazarus was dead. And one day Jesus came after Lazarus had died, and he raised Lazarus from the dead. But before he raised him from the dead, he spoke to, to Mary and Martha. And first he spoke to Martha, and he said this, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asked Martha this question. Do you believe this? Martha, do you really believe this? She was hurting in her heart so bad because she loved her brother and he had died. She even said, Lord, if you had been here, he would have never died. But she trusted the Lord. And I love her answer that she gives in the 27th verse of chapter 11 of John. She says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Son of God who is to come into the world. You're the Messiah, Lord. You can do all things. You can raise my brother. You can raise him up. Now, she was thinking he would raise him up at the end of the age, but he was going to raise, raise him up right then and there before her eyes. So think of these two individuals, Peter and Martha, two different people, two different walks of life. They both confessed Christ, and they were also both rebuked by the Lord. The Lord had to rebuke Peter because in this same passage in Matthew 16, when the Lord said he's going to be crucified and rise again, Peter comes to him and takes him aside and says, Lord, that'll never happen to you. You're never going to be crucified and die. And you know what the Lord said to him? He says, get behind me, Satan, because you're savoring the things of man, not the things of God. On the one hand, the Lord had just been so pleased by his confession 
of faith. And he said, blessed are you, Simon, son of John. But then on the other hand, he had to rebuke him. And the same thing with Martha. One day Martha had invited the Lord Jesus over to her house for dinner, and Mary was there, and Lazarus was there. And Martha was, was very busy in serving, and it says she was very distracted in serving the Lord, like we can get when we're busy in our lives doing all these things. Nothing wrong with doing things for the Lord, but we have to have the right perspective. Mary, on the other hand, had taken the right place. She sat down at Jesus' feet and was listening to his word. Martha got very bothered. She said, Jesus, please tell my sister to help me with this work that I'm doing here. And the Lord had to rebuke her. He said, Martha, Martha, you're worried and bothered about so many things. Can he say that to us? Does he say that to me? Does he say that to you? You're worried and bothered about so many things, jobs and food and clothing and, and what you're going to do this week at work and your family and all these things, and they're important. But Mary has chosen the most important thing, to sit at my feet, to listen to my word. That is the best thing. And I bet Martha never forgot that lesson either because she was one who confessed the Lord in her life. You know, Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 12, he said, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. You know, there are times in our life where people ask us, are you a Christian? Tell me, what does it mean to be a Christian? And you get a chance to share with them what Christ has done for you. And when you do that, don't you have a good feeling? You have a very good feeling. I got a chance to witness today. I got a chance to testify for the Savior today. I got a chance to stand up for him today. And Paul even relates the fact in that passage in 1 Timothy 6 that Jesus made the good confession in the presence of Pontius Pilate. You know, when Pontius Pilate said, he asked him, are you the king of the Jews? He says, you say it yourself. Yes, I am. And he was very afraid. And even his wife had a dream about it. She says, have nothing to do with this righteous man. But when the time came, he put Jesus to death on the cross because that was God's will for us to be saved, that Jesus would die. But what a beautiful expression the Lord uses in verse 17. He's so pleased with Peter. He said, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, or in other words, the son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You know, no one can get saved. No one can come to the realization of who Jesus really is unless the Father reveals him. The Lord Jesus said one time, no one can know the Father except the Son. And no one can know the Son except the Father and the one whom the Father wills to reveal him. And when the Father reveals Jesus to us and we accept him as our Savior, our lives are changed. He makes all the difference. And that's why he said, blessed are you, happy are you for what you have said, Peter. You have said the right thing. I think about how he didn't say the right thing up on the Mount of Transfiguration, though one time Peter was up there with them and he says, Lord, it's good for us to be here. Let's make three booths, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. No, Jesus is greater than any of those people. And he had to learn that lesson that Jesus was the king and the savior. And one time, though, Peter said the right thing again when in John chapter 6, there were his disciples there, and they were listening to Jesus' word on discipleship and about his body and his blood. And one day, there they were, and 
pretty soon Christian, the disciples that were following at that point, not the 12, started to walk out one by one, leaving Jesus. Leaving Jesus. Can you imagine leaving the Lord Jesus Christ that way? And yet Jesus said to the disciples, to the 12, will you too go away? Suppose he says that to you today, will you too go away? You know, I think about what would happen if persecution arose in America and it became really hard to be a Christian. You'd lose your job, you'd, you couldn't uh, get food, you couldn't get any uh, accommodations, and it really costs. In some parts of the world, like in China, it still costs a lot to be a Christian. And many of them are even put to death for their faith. Many of the early apostles, they, in fact, all of them were put to death for their faith in Christ, except John, who died a natural life and gave us the book of Revelation. But I like what D.L. Moody says about Peter here. He says, yes, he blessed him right then and there because he confessed him to be the Son of God. He says he was hungry to get someone to confess him. He says, then let everyone take his stand on his side. Confess him here on earth, and he will confess you when you get to heaven. He will look upon you with pride because you stood up for him here. You know, those are the choices. If you confess Jesus here, He'll confess you there in heaven. If you deny him here, he will deny you there. And so may the Lord help us to be those who confess Christ and stand for him. D.L. Moody went on to also say, if you want the blessing of heaven and peace that passes understanding, you must be ready and willing to confess him. Do you know how Peter fell? He fell as a thousand people fall because they don't confess the Son of God. It's amazing. Here was Peter that one time said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Then when he was there at Jesus' crucifixion, he says, I don't know him. He denied even knowing Jesus. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. He cursed and swore. But may God help us to be those who confess Christ by our lives and by our words that we can be a blessing for him. And then that brings us to our final question this morning. First question, easy one. Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Second question is harder, a soul-searching question. Who do you say that I am? That was spoken to the disciples. But now, if the Lord was here, he's going to ask you that question. He's going to ask me that question. Who do you say that I am? And that's the question we have to answer. Who is Jesus to me? more than a religious leader, more than a great teacher, more than a great man. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He changed all of history and all of eternity by coming into this world. Have we decided to accept him in our life as our Savior? Or are we still worried about what people might think? We want to accept him today because he died for us on the cross. He was willing to publicly show his love for us and go to the cross and die. And if he was willing to do that so that we can be born again, we should be willing to accept him as our Savior and speak for him and confess him before the world. Turn with me over for a very beautiful passage in Romans chapter 10. It's very familiar to many of us, if not all of us here today. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, talking about confessing Christ. Romans chapter 10 and verse 9. Here the Apostle Paul is writing to the Romans, to the Christians there in Rome. He says that if you confess with your mouth, 
the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Paul puts it very clearly here. Two things are involved in us accepting Christ, our hearts and our tongues. We need both of them involved. He says, because you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. We have it right here. Jesus is Lord. Now that's easy to say, but in our real practical lives today, is Jesus Lord? Is he your Savior? Is he your Lord and Savior? Is he your King? Do you belong to the King? Yes, that's the question we have to ask ourselves today. He says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And it's not just a belief in your mind about it. You have to commit your heart to him, accept him into your heart, into your life, and say, Lord Jesus, you died on the cross for me. I accept your salvation. I accept that free gift. Please come into my life. And he will if we put him on the throne of our life and say, Lord, take control of everything. He says, for the heart, with the heart, one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. That's a confession that we need to make. The Lord Jesus even said that. He said, whoever confesses me before men, I will confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will deny before my Father in heaven. Yes, it's a matter of publicly accepting Christ and speaking for him and taking our stand for the Lord. You know, a lot of people are willing to go and stand before a congregation like this and pledge and confess their love for each other in holy matrimony. They're not ashamed. I love that person. I'm marrying that person till death do us part. But sometimes we get ashamed to identify ourselves with Christ and pledge our love to him and are publicly proclaimed. Other people are not ashamed to get up in court and put their hand on the Bible and swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. But they're ashamed to take God's word and accept it as the true teaching of salvation. Yes, whatever we do. And think today, how many people are not ashamed to be called sports fans of baseball, basketball, football, whatever team it is or whatever individual it is. But you know what? People are ashamed of Jesus Christ. They are. But I really love it when an athlete gets up there after winning a championship, usually is when they have that, and they got the cameras rolling and it's live and they say, first of all, I want to thank Jesus Christ for giving me the strength and ability to win this. And before they can turn him down or turn him off or turn her off or turn her down, the words come out and they affect people. Have you ever seen in a football game at the end of the game, they don't usually show it too often, but you can see it sometimes, players from both teams getting down and praying. Can you imagine Stanford Cardinal players and Cal Bears getting down together. Giants fans and A's fans getting together. Raiders fans and 49er fans getting together. Players. You know, Jesus Christ is the one person in life that can bring everybody together. He is the Prince of Peace. He brings us together in all walks of life. I oftentimes say to my friend Ryan Cook, he's new to our church, and he likes the Dodgers. And he wears the Dodgers fan hat very proudly. I said, brother, I'm a Giants fan, but I still love you. You know, we love each other because it doesn't matter. 
It doesn't matter what team you support, what political party you support, what anything you support in this world. It's that we stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I read a story about an architect. He was a Greek architect, and a Roman emperor came to him and says, I want you to design and build a new Colosseum for us. So that Greek architect went to work, and he says, I'm going to build the best Colosseum I can possibly build. And the emperor said, when you get finished with this, I'm going to honor you. I'm going to give you all kinds of accolades, and we're going to celebrate it. So pretty soon, after many months and working on this project, it was done. And it was time to dedicate the Colosseum, and the architect was there, and all the people were there. And guess what the emperor said? The Colosseum is done. And we've come to celebrate it today by putting to death some Christians at the mouth of the lion. And we have come to honor the architect who constructed this wonderful building. Whereupon the Greek architect sprang to his feet and shouted, I also am a Christian. And at that, they took that man and they threw him to the lion. And there was his dead and bleeding body there on that Colosseum church. Would, be we, would we be willing to do that when we see Christians being put to death? Look at this man. He was willing to say, I too am a Christian. And you know, that happened not long ago, back when they had those killings at Columbine. I still remember that young lady who was a Christian, and that man, that shooter, pointed that gun at her and said, are you a Christian? And she says, yes, I am a Christian. And he killed her. He killed her. Now, that's probably not going to happen to any of us in our lifetime, but thank God that we can confess Christ. We can declare Christ, our allegiance to Christ. We can pledge that to him. Yes, we may not have persecution like that, but we have people laugh at us. We have people tease us. We have people ridicule us. Just recently, Sonny, right? You went over to Guam. The new Sonny went back to Guam. The old Sonny, <laughs> the old Sonny was a drinker, right? Smoker and a carouser. And I'm not ashamed to say that because he says that. And all of us have an old and a new life. But guess what? When he went back to his mother's funeral there in Guam, it wasn't the old Sonny going back. It was the new Sonny. And they couldn't believe it. They say, Sonny, I can't believe it. You're not smoking. You're not drinking. You're not doing all these things. What happened to you, right? And they laughed. They teased him and so forth. But he wasn't ashamed to say, I accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. He changed my life. And when Jesus changes our life, we can say with this Greek architect, I also am a Christian. I also belong to Jesus. He's my Savior. He's my Lord. And if you're here today and you have not answered that question about who do you say that Jesus is, you have to answer it today. Or you can say, I'm not going to answer it, but by not answering it, you really are answering it. You're not identifying with Christ. He died for you publicly. He loves you. He loves you. And he wants you to accept him into your life as your Savior. And as your Lord. Yes, Jesus asked three questions. He said, who do people say that I am? Then he said to the disciples, who do you say that I am? And I love Peter. And he said it so clearly and so wonderfully. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then he asked us that question today. Well, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am today? You are God. You are my Lord. You are my king and my savior, and I accept you into my life to be my Lord and savior, to pledge our full identification and allegiance with the Lord. Shall we just look to him today and ask the Lord 
as we bow our heads and close our eyes, have we made that confession? Have we made that great confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and he is not only the Son of God, he is my personal Lord and Savior? And if you have not made that confession today, while every eye is closed and every heart and head is bowed, raise up your hand and say, I want to confess that Jesus Christ is my Savior today. I want to accept him as the one sacrifice for my sins. I want to be born again. And if that is your desire this morning, just raise up your hand and we'll pray for you. Because today is the day of salvation. Today you can confess him. None of us know when we go out this door what might happen to us. It might be the last time that we have the chance to answer that question. And we want to give up every person the opportunity to get saved today. Because that is the key thing to confess Christ. Anyone who would like to receive Christ, you can raise up your hand. You can talk to us after the meeting. Please, listen to that question. Who do you say that I am? And you can receive him into your heart as your Savior. And then for those of us who are children of God, are we willing to confess Christ even when it's difficult? Even when people are laughing? There are so many people that use the Lord's name in vain. May we stand up for it, Lord. May we speak up for it. Because, Lord, we belong to you. And we don't want to hear those kind of things. Lord, help us to confess you with a good confession and to tell others about you, Lord. Shall we just close in a word of prayer? Father, we do thank you this morning for the great confession of faith that Peter made. He wasn't ashamed at this point. He said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that you will help us to make this good confession to people we meet in life that are unsaved, that don't know you, and that we will confess that it's not in us. We haven't changed our own lives. We haven't had a self-improvement course or done any of these kinds of things. You have changed our lives. And Lord, you are the reason that our lives are different. You make us new creatures in Christ. And we pray that you'll help us to make the good confession and to live for you in this world. Lord, help us not to be distracted by the things that are happening around us, but help us to cling to you every day. We ask this now in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen.